know, I retired with an 80-20 asset allocation and brought it down five ticks at a time until now I'm down to 65-35, and I'm figuring I'll probably go to 60-40 by the time I'm 75. You're listening to the Millionaire's Unveiled podcast, where you'll hear the stories and interviews of everyday millionaires. We'll unveil their decisions, their strategies, and their current portfolio allocation. Now to your hosts, Clark Sheffield and Jace Mattinson. Welcome back, everybody. Episode 219, Millionaire's Unveiled. It's Clark here with Jace. Jace, what's going on? How was your New Year's? (laughs) <laughs> man, New Year's was great, dude. I'm uh, excited for 2022. How about you? Yeah, I was just thinking, uh, same year. I was just thinking New Year's resolution. So I did a quick search, New Year's resolution stats. I was kind of curious. So here, here's some fun stats I came across. It says baby boomers want to lose weight. 53% of them have the resolution to lose weight, but they have a less importance or they yeah less, but place less importance on saving money. 39% compared to younger generations. Gen Z is four times more concerned with finding love than any other age group. Millennials are the most confident. Imagine that. Millennials are the most confident that they'll keep all their resolutions. Losing weight is more important to those who live in the Midwest than any other region. Exercising is more important for those on the West Coast compared to the, to the rest of the U.S. Southern states find it more important to drink less alcohol. The Northeast would like to, would like to stop drinking alcohol completely. <laughs> so, there you go. There's a couple of fun New Year's resolutions. So you probably made some and then already stopped, right? Just a few days in. Yeah, most most people kind of send those out the window, right? Within the first couple of weeks is <laughs> day, typically what day the, three. Yeah, it's, day it's typically three. it's typically the statistics, right? You gotta you gotta stick to it, or it becomes, I guess, a quote unquote resolution and not a goal, or I don't, I don't know. I, there's a lot of a lot of stuff and we've gotten into some of our millionaires with this but just in terms of the psychology of goal setting and you know if if if, you, if if you're setting them and how you track them and how you hold yourself accountable etc but that's for another day one episode coming up this week this is with jc he is past the traditional retirement age he is 70 years old so definitely one of our more seasoned guests he, he started his career in the military he served in a couple of different branches he was a bartender in a couple of various states after the military then moved on to electronics and worked at, at at a few various tech companies. Net worth of two point two million currently made ninety percent of his wealth after he was fifty. So kind of fun to hear from um, somebody a little bit older. One of the few that we've had, right? Jace, kind of fun to look back and yeah, and hear those perspectives. So last week we had Sal guest interview where he got into a few different topics: high net worth individuals, how they invest, managing gener- managing generational wealth. So fun to hear a, a different perspective from him. So. Happy New Year's to everybody. Hope everybody has a great year. If you'd like to ask a question to us or some of the millionaires on the show, go to our website, millionairesunveiled.com. Hit Ask a Millionaire, and you can either type one into us or record one via SpeakPipe, and we'll play it on the show. So please ask a question if you have any. And without any further delay, let's get right into today's episode with JC. JC, do you want to give us a little bit about your background and what you're up to now? I've bounced around the country all of my life, all of my adult life. I spent uh, uh, the first part of my career in the military. I did the Air Force during Nam. I never left the state, so nobody was shooting at me. I did three three years and nine months in the Air Force. Got an early discharge because Nam was winding down. Then I did three years and nine months in the inactive reserves. And then I couldn't find a job that paid well enough, so I went back in the service and I joined the Navy this time. And uh, after three years and nine months, I got out of there 
because they uh, had a program where if you were going to attend college, they would let you out a little early to catch the beginning of the semester. So another three-year, nine-month hitch. After two tours in the service, I figured out that's not for me. So I've also bounced around the country, New York, Michigan, Wisconsin, California, Illinois, and Florida, tending bar. Supported myself tending bar for a while. And uh, the Navy, though, taught me electronics. The Air Force taught me how to type, but the Navy taught me electronics. So I ended up in the electronics field. That college I told you the Navy let me out for, that was a Foothill Community College here in California, or out in California. I took the electronic, advanced electronics course, got an AA degree in it, and I started getting jobs working in the field. I have many startups. At one point, I ended up at SGI. That was Silicon Graphics. They're gone now. I think they got bought and dissolved or something. Eventually, I ended up at Apple. And my last 10 years working where it happened. And it was at Apple that uh, my net worth really started to climb. Although I did recently discover a 3 by 5 note card that had handwritten a net worth statement on. And at that time, it turns out I was worth a quarter million dollars in December of 2001. That's when I really started buckling down and realizing that, uh, hey, I could do this. So I started putting money away, 401k plans and such. That's that's about as much background as I can think of right now. I got any questions? Yeah, no, that's awesome. So I, 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 just for our listeners to so provide some context, I mean, this is a, 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 an interview that we, Clark, of the right word is we just haven't had as many of these, but essentially you're retired. Is that correct? Since this uh, January of 2008. Right before the financial crisis, my portfolio dropped from 1.51 million to 864,000 the end of February of 09. Wow. So losing half your wealth. Almost. Very close. And so 250 in 01, you went to 15 in 08. What was the, and and we'll get into your net worth today, but how did you build that up so quickly from 01, from 250 to to 15 in 08 and then decided to retire? Um, Let's see. JC, what is your net worth today? Today, I'd happen to have that on the screen too. It's um, one million nine hundred eighty-five thousand seven hundred thirteen. Okay. I'm sorry, that's the portfolio. The portfolio and the net worth are separate calculations, but the portfolio is in the net worth. The net worth is actually hundred uh, two million two hundred sixteen thousand seven hundred eighty-four. Two point two million. So just just shy of two point three portfolio is one point nine. So you recovered from that two thousand eight two thousand nine blip. By the end of oh nine, we went back over a million. So during that time, did you reduce your living expenses at all, or did you continue to just have it's faith in the market to rebound? Uh, we were. Uh, I was watching our burn rate, how fast we were going through what we had, 
And I realized we couldn't keep that pace up at $864,000 left. So we got what we call in the lifestyle, the RV full-time lifestyle, we call it work camping. I got a, we got a work camping job at the Crazy Horse Monument in South Dakota. My wife took care of the office, checking in new RVers coming in to visit, well, campers. And I mowed the grass, cleaned the cottages, and spent half my time as a greeter over at the Crazy Horse Monument Visitor Center. I split my time between the two, and she worked in the office. Eight bucks an hour, but we got free sight, and uh, weren't moving, not driving anywhere, so no diesel. And I had budgeted $600 a month on diesel and $400 a month for RV sites. So that saved us $1,000 a month, plus we were taking in money, plus we got to eat at their cafeteria. So, yeah, we, we trimmed our sales a bit there for a while. Interesting. So by the end of the summer, we had already recovered back up to a million, so we never had to work again. Gotcha. So you retired Let's just throw it out there for for our listeners, if you don't mind, and we can edit this later if you want. But you retired in your late 50s. 57. 57. And obviously, that was in 08-ish time frame. So I was 57 in November of 07. Okay. So was that the plan? Was it to retire at 57? Or did your portfolio get to a point where you decided to retire? I saw that money, and then it just hit me. Let me back up a bit. That last 10 years of my career was probably be my best 10 years. Just not only just financially, but just the joy of the job. I used to tell my coworkers that I loved what I was doing so much and pay them to let me do it. And I was good at it. But as the years rolled on, new skill sets came, came along and new languages to be learned and new ways of doing things. And younger kids, we'd hire young guys. I call young, you know, in their thirties and, uh, I didn't keep up my skill set. I never lost my ability that I had developed, but I didn't improve it anymore after I had six or seven years on the job. And I could see the handwriting on the wall that I wasn't going to be able to keep that going much longer. So once I saw how large our balance was, I came home one day and I asked my wife, I said, what would you think about hit, uh, me retiring and hitting the road in our motorhome? We had an older motorhome out in the front yard. And uh, she said, her eyes got big as saucers. She said, I'd love that. Travel the whole country, but we're going to have to get a different motorhome. <laughs> I thought we'd go from what we had. It was fine. But <laughs> she, she wanted us to get a better one. And she was right. And we ended up with a really nice high-end motorhome, 40-footer diesel pusher instead of 32-foot gas rig. So we're, we've been quite happy in it. and we've been. How in much does a new motorhome cost? New, it was probably... Close to 300, but we bought it used, 4,600 miles on it. Whoever bought it told them that uh, they wanted something smaller to go off-road in, so they they gave it up after months. It was in 06, and we bought it in the middle of 07, and it cost us 200 and the trade-in of my old rig, which I wanted 50 for. They offered me 30 for it, but they lowered the price. They were asking for this rig down to 200 plus my trade-in, so I didn't care if they gave me. 30000 or 50000 out of my pocket was only 200 So that's what we paid for the rig. And we got it a lease for it, but then we split the house up for sale. And within a month and a half, we sold it. And I turned around and paid the rig off. So we hit the road completely debt-free. And that's when you sold the house? Yeah. And the house went, we took out a $30,000 HELOC, 
Is that what it's called? Home equity yeah, line yeah. of credit. And uh, use that thirty grand to fix a chimney in the fireplace that had been damaged in the in the earthquake. I think it was '98. We had that big earthquake out there, and yeah, we resurfaced all the floors and I'll put a new roof, uh, fix the landscaping somewhat to get the price up to an asking price of seven hundred thirty-five or seven hundred thirty-eight, and we settled for seven thirty. Wow, that's amazing! And we paid one thirty-five, one thirty-eight. And how many years did you say you owned it? God, do you remember when we bought that? Probably 12 to 15 years. Wow. Yeah, probably, yeah 15 years probably. Wow, that's yes, amazing. Yes, real estate prices in California got ridiculous. Yeah, and even more so this year, right? I don't know. We've been gone for 14 years. Yeah, I think they're up another 15 or something percent. One, But I think because of COVID, they're up another 15 percent or something. Wow, I would think people would be wanting to leave there. Yeah, yeah they are. They are. They're California and Jason's Texas. That's what they're doing. Well, then why would the price, real estate prices have gone up in California? See, that, yeah, that, that's that's one point. thing I have not figured out because I, that's puzzling, isn't it? I think it's just a, the state just still has millions and millions of people. So, JC, I want to come back to your story a little bit. But uh-huh. first, let's let's break down this $2.2 million. So, maybe okay. just let, let's go big buckets here because I know you sent a screenshot, which is awesome, of, of your net worth and your allocation a little bit, but how much of the 2.2 is in retirement, specific retirement accounts? 518, it looks like. Wait a minute, the Roth is part of that too. Yeah, and you got the Roth, so like 600-ish, call it? Get close to that, 580 maybe, 590, somewhere around there. It's tax-sheltered. Okay, the and then and then just in the market, it's yeah, a, that's, that's kind of the chunk of it, right? Like 1.2 million if you count the Apple stock? Yeah, one point three. 1.3, and then you've got the motorhome, and then what other other uh, property real estate do you have? Well, a couple of years ago, I think it's only two now. Are you guys familiar with Paul Merriman? I'm not. He's a he's a financial blogger. He used to run his own investment firm, and he sold it, and now he teaches, runs a blog and a, and a podcast. Anyway, one day he mentioned on his podcast that he had bought a place down in Mexico and referenced his blog. So I went to the blog, found all the links for it. I was blown away. It was beautiful. So I sent the links to my wife and I said, look at this. We should think about going down there next year. She had us booked on a plane in three weeks. <laughs> and so we flew down to Mexico just to look around. Within six days, we made an offer on a townhouse down there and bought it. So that's one of the things that's on wow. the spreadsheet. It says uh, Carolina 59, that mm-hmm. 180000 is what we paid for the place, including closing costs. For 2,500 square feet, three-bedroom, three-and-a-half bath, two stories, on a hill overlooking the gorgeous UNESCO Heritage Site downtown, which is 0.9 miles away. So do you still use that a lot? Do you go out there or do you rent we, it out? I think we've been down there three, it could be four, three or four times we've been down there, but not since COVID hit. We haven't gone. And we're itching to get back. Yeah. Yeah. And then let's go through this cash here just for our listeners. He's got uh, Wells Fargo, Cash, Vanguard, Money Market, and even the piggy bank is making it on here. And I also had the Walmart gift card. (laughs) 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 Now, there's logic behind the gift card. We live in It's a diesel pusher. It's a 110-gallon tank. And uh, every 400 miles, I got to fill it up, usually in the neighborhood of 60 to 65 gallons. But if I have a Walmart gift card, I can go to their associated gas station called Murphy's usually and get 15 cents off a gallon. So I usually keep 
three or four hundred bucks in that gift card. We're sitting for a month now, not driving, so I haven't bothered to fill it back up. That's why it's only five dollars. But normally there's four or five hundred bucks. And then the piggy bank had fifty or sixty bucks in it, not the four it says now. But I was in a wall wall mart and heard them discussing amongst themselves, the cashiers, that they're running out of coins. This is back in the day where there was a serious coin shortage in the entire economy because either people were hoarding them or the government wasn't putting them out or people didn't want to touch them so they wouldn't bring them anymore to the store. Point being, the cashiers were hurting for coins. So I asked them if uh, they could use my $50 piggy bank coins. They said, sure, bring it in. We won't charge you. Because normally they charge you to cash in your coins. they got a machine back there and they, they take their percentage. But they let me not pay the percentage because I was bringing in coins for their benefit. They did give me the bills on the money. So I got my 50 bucks and they got their $50 worth of coins. And we built that piggy bank back up to $4. <laughs> <laughs> but that's why it's on the spreadsheet. Oh, also another reason why everything's on the spreadsheet, the balance sheet, is because we use YNAB as our budgeting tool. And they have an off-budget section where you can put retirement accounts, house, all that kind of stuff. And it doesn't figure out on the budget. But because the piggy bank comes out of the cash money that I have on me, I have to account for where the money went out of the cash account. So it ends up being a transfer from cash to piggy bank. Because yeah, the piggy bank is in my I put it on the budget too because I wanted the two of them to be as close as possible. <laughs> Same and what's the tool you use? Tell our listeners, what's the tool you use to track all this? YNAB. You need a budget. No, the, uh, sorry, the spreadsheet that you sent us, this, this old that's, school oh, program. That's called Spreadsheet Calculator, but it's like, I'm probably getting up to 25, 30 years old. I, I used it back in the days before computers had mice, before there was a mouse. This, <laughs> this computer, you move around with it, keys, J, K, L, and H. It's how you move back and forth and up and down <laughs> with those letters. It's a text-based spreadsheet program, but uh, it doesn't make mistakes, so I'm happy. Yeah, and then let me just share for our listeners of the money that you have in, in the stocks. You yeah. have it, it seems like about forty uh, percent or so, about six hundred and seventy grand in a Vanguard five hundred index, extended market funds. So you seem to be mostly invested in index funds. Oh, totally, except for the, the uh, Apple stock and the Saunders stock. And, and oh, and the uh, peer-to-peer lending got a little bit left in there. But yeah, what I packed up a bit due to the uh, S&P 500 and the extended market, that was a market timing move I kind of made when the uh, financial crisis of 2009 started to rebound. I talked to my financial advisor at the time, and I suggested to him that I was under the impression, or I had the opinion, that I thought the S&P would recover faster than the total stock market, which is where all my money was. And he didn't argue against it. He said, that, that, that makes sense. So I moved everything out of the uh, total stock market and put it in the S&P 500. But that worked. That was a good guess. It paid off. But I didn't know about market timing was a bad thing to do back then. I would never make that move again today. But I did back then. And because I moved that money, I had acquired so much capital gains, I couldn't move it back without realizing the capital gains, because this all happened in my taxable account, taxable brokerage account. So I called Vanguard and looking for, what do I do about this? He said, well, there's the extended market will pick up everything that isn't in the S&P 500. Between the two of them, you practically have the total stock market. So I started moving money in there over time. I really can't even remember where that money came from. At one point in time, I got a $30,000 refund check 
from the state of California because I had had, had to pay them when I sold a bunch of my Apple shares uh, when I retired and uh, finally established a residency in South Dakota. So they had to give me back that money. Side story, I had to send general delivery to a post office in a town we were in. And then we went to get it. The post office had a chain link fence around the entire thing. It was under renovations. <laughs> so I didn't know where my 30000 check went. We, we hunted it down. They they moved general delivery to another post office. We found it and got it. So that might have been part of that money that salted the extended market fund. I don't I can't really say where the rest of it came from. Because it's all yeah. over. So it, could, this- it could just be growth. Because I did that back in uh, 2010 probably. Right, right. So what's the story with the hundred and 50-ish in Apple stock. Is that, is that You had options there when you started? I had uh, grants for p- performance and for a bribe to get me to come to Apple. When they bought a startup that I was working for, they gave me the equivalent. In I had 10,000 shares or something like that at that little startup. So they gave me a whole bunch of shares to come to Apple. And then uh, I got a couple of performance bonuses in the form of stock, grants, stuff like that. And then there was an employee stock purchase plan that I participated in to the max. At one time, I had 10,000 shares of Apple pre-7-for-1 split, pre-this recent 4-for-1 split. But most of that's gone now. Before this most recent split, I was down to my last 300 shares. But now that pushed me back up to 1,200, and I just sold 200. So I still got 1,000 shares left of Apple stock after this final split, this most recent split. So that's where that is from. It's leftover. I call it leftover Apple stock. JC, have you been selling that ever since you left there? You know, there's another interesting thing about uh, how I decided to pull my money out of my accounts. During the 08, 09 crisis, we lived off of a laddered CD structure that I had set up, not knowing I was going to need it, but an advisor I was using at the time at Wells Fargo suggested it. So I had like 10 or 11 $10,000 CDs. And they were maturing every three months. One of them would come up for maturity. So we lived on that during the crisis. I never did have to draw anything out of the investments. And uh, once the CDs were gone, I didn't know what the smartest thing to do was. So I decided to do a round robin. I'll sell Apple shares and I'll take some out of the taxable account and I'll take some out of the IRA and then I'll go back to the Apple shares. Well, I did that for one cycle, but then didn't want to take any more out of the IRA. I learned to do it better to live off the taxable account and let the IRA sit. So I bounced back and forth between the Apple and the IRA. I mean, excuse me, Apple and the brokerage account. And then I, after Steve Jobs died, I gave it about a year, and then I got the feeling that there wasn't going to be anything wonderful coming out of Apple anymore. They're going to be all right. They'll make a lot of money, but they're not a growth company, in my opinion, anymore. So I decided to just live on the Apple shares until they were gone. Interesting. And pretty much did that except for the few times when I found that I needed to rebalance. Most of the time, I tried to accomplish that in the tax-sheltered accounts, but when there wasn't enough equities in the tax-sheltered accounts to rebalance, I'd have to do some of it in the taxable account to get back to my asset I retired with an 80-20 asset allocation and brought it down five ticks at a time. Until now, I'm down to 65-35, and I'm figuring I'll probably go to 60-40 by the time I'm 75, five years from now. So I just went to 6535 uh, last year. Okay, let's take a quick break from the episode and thank Wix for sponsoring today's show. Whether you're starting a new business, you need a personal blog or website, Wix can help you do that for as little as $2.95 a month. 
So take your business online with Wix, the leading website creation platform that's got all the tools you need to create, manage, and grow your brand. Whether you're starting your online business or you've got a side hustle, you can design a site a site to showcase your brand that'll look great on any device. So join over 200 million people already using Wix's wide range of solutions to enhance their business. Plus, with enterprise-grade security built into every site, you know you're in safe hands. You can manage everything from one dashboard on desktop and mobile, so you can be available anywhere at any time, in the office, at home, or on the go. Want to get started with your website? Head over to Wix.com and create your website today. And without any further delay, let's get back into the episode. Jason, let me ask, I mean, it's interesting that you're still so heavily weighted in stocks. It's it's somebody your age. You think that's you think that's heavy? Sixty five, thirty five. I personally don't, but traditional yeah, yeah. advice might tell you that it is. <laughs> no, I personally I don't. I but don't. traditional but advice, the traditional advice tells you is you move into retirement, sixty five plus. Let's just call it. You need to get more bonds, more heavy into bonds than stocks. I did make a move recently in that. Uh, Social Security. We turned. We pulled the trigger on Social Security a couple of years back, and that now covers half of our living expenses. We we budget sixty five, probably spend seventy five hundred a month. Social Security is covering almost half of that. And it, next year, when my wife turns seventy, it'll cover half of it because she's getting nine hundred bucks more next July when she turns seventy. So once I realized that I don't need five or six percent of my portfolio anymore, I'm actually now down to less than two and a half percent my withdrawal rate on my portfolio. So I moved a lot of the bonds into tips because I, I'm looking for safety with bonds, not looking for growth, not looking for gains, yeah. looking for safety. So I moved it into, and I, so I got out of any corporates I might have been in before because they can suffer during a major downturn where government bonds won't suffer as much. I feel safer in government bonds. And I feel even safer in tips because I get some protection from any potential future inflation. So that's why the tips is so high, four hundred ten thousand. Interesting. Like that's that risky for me because I even if I lost everything that's in equities, I've got enough money in bonds to support the rest of my life. With Social Security, the bonds would support me for the rest of my life. So I'm not scared of the equity portion of my portfolio. Good. Good. Sorry, does that make you want to spend more then? Well, I, I'm tempering myself. I, for a while, thanks to Paul Merriman's recommendations, was in small cap value fund, and I had a REIT fund for a while. But once I realized that I don't need the portfolio anymore to live, I cut out the uh, REITs, I cut out the small cap value, and I used that those funds from those the, the monies from those funds to go into the tips. To help me drop down to to sixty five thirty five from the seventy thirty that I was previously, that helped me get down to sixty five thirty five, getting rid of REITs and small cap value fund because I don't really need to take that much risk anymore. Yeah, totally. So, JC, I'm curious: Does life expectancy for somebody your age play into how you invest or how you think about the world as you withdraw your portfolio? I mean, are you planning to live to a hundred plus, or or how do you think about that as as you moved into retirement? My wife and I have had this conversation, and I brought it up recently when I saw 70 coming around the corner. And I said to her, you know, probably only got about 10 years left to uh, do whatever we want. Go where Once we hit 80, things are going to change. 
be lucky if we're vertical. Both my parents only lived to their mid-80s. Her mom is, uh, she's in her mid to late 80s, and she's going to be 88 or is 88, somewhere around. But 90 would be fortunate, I think, if we got that far. So we're looking at 20 years tops. In the next 10, we plan to be as active as we possibly can. Did you hear that? Yeah, repeat it again so our listeners can hear. My wife said, travel, travel, travel. So we got we got some cruises queued up when COVID lets us go. So 10 years in your mind to, to do whatever you want to do, but then you right. potentially could live for another 10 years and you still could be spending money, right? Like those those years. But yeah. does, your, does the way you invest now change at all because of that kind of timeline for yourself? I don't think I'll ever go below 64. But I think I will go to 60-40 by the time I'm 75 because I just don't need all that risk. Yeah, yeah, totally. And the six, you know, the, the five points that comes off the equities will go into bonds where, where they should be safe. Government yeah, tips. Totally. So, JC, I want to ask, because it's pretty remarkable, much like Warren Buffett, you've made majority of your wealth after your 50th birthday, correct? Wasn't that wild? I just gained that realization when I found that 3 by 5 card recently. Yeah. Totally. So maybe for our listeners, just give some context. Like, what was it like in your 20s, 30s, and 40s? Not that you were reckless or anything, but you just definitely did not build the wealth in that gener- in, in that decade for yourself. You did it in your 50s. Right. Before I got out of the Navy, and I think you see how old but I, I was around probably close to 28 when I got out of the Navy. And those first eight years, I made piddly. Starvation wages hourly, well, I've always been a W-2 employee, low-wages person, and that's why I ended up going in the Air Force and the Navy, was to get a steady job that made halfway decent, put a roof over my head, because I was I was not a college graduate, I was just a flunky high school graduate, I had a pretty low GPA in high school, so I never got a really good job until I got out of the Navy and worked for an electronics field, and then my salary started climbing. And when it got to be more than I could spend, then I started setting it aside. Yeah, it's all been, almost all has been uh, 401k. Although, I want, for a while, a couple of years, up until December of 07, I think it was, I was trying to be a stock picker. And at one point, I had over 25 different companies and a total investment of about 65000 And then I did a spreadsheet on everything, see where it was all ever underwater. Oh, that was 08. That's right, because in the middle of the financial crisis, December of 08, every holding I had was underwater. So I dumped it all and got 34000 out of my 65000 back. <laughs> and I took that money and put it in, in index funds. Or maybe I used it to buy CDs. I, I really don't. But so yeah, what's I quit, been trying to, I quit trying to be a stock picker. I'm no good at it. Yeah. No, as I hear your story, and you mentioned you didn't go to college, right? Obviously, you were in the Air Force and the Navy. You mentioned that. The Navy let me out three months early, so I could go to college. So I went to a junior college and got an AA in electronics. And I think that helped me job hunting. Although I didn't do much job hunting. Once I got my first really good job, I got recruited to every one of my following jobs. No, I wasn't chicken. (laughs) (laughs) People would call me chicken in the background. Sometimes I'd take it, sometimes I wouldn't. So you're married now. Do you have any kids? We don't. Uh, this, on a personal note, this is both of our fourth marriage, but it's our third and fourth marriage were to each other. <laughs> so we, <laughs> we were married for maybe 10 years. 
And then we got divorced, didn't see each other for a dozen years. And then she called me up looking for a little help. And so I invited her to come back home because I never left the house. She left. So I invited her to come back home. And uh, after a couple of years, decided to get married again. And that was in Dece that was December 1st of 2007. So we're on our second marriage. It's like 13 years the second time. But oh. we didn't have any kids together. I had kids in a prior marriage before her and I ever met. Yeah, because you have a, a couple, a few 529 accounts listed. What, what do you plan to do with those? I don't know how this works. I just think, that given how much money I have, and my kids were estranged from me until they were adults because their parent didn't want to have anything to do with me. So when they were in their late 20s, early 30s, one of them reached out to me, and then the other one went along with it. Now we're close again. So they both have kids. And so now I have three grandkids, two by one and one by the other. So I started putting money aside in their 529s. I opened them up with 15000 I put 6000 in one, five in another, and four in another because of their ages. The youngest one got the smallest, 529. And then I've been dumping 1000 in each one of those, their accounts every year ever since. And I don't know how they get to use that money. We'll have to learn about that when the time comes. Yeah, you could pass you can pass that down to the yeah, grandkids. Eight, seven and four, something like that. They're single digit yeah. kids still. Yeah, good for you. Good for you. So as you look back, JC, on this whole journey and now I have lived a, a dozen lifestyle lifetimes. My there you go. Ways of living, I've lived a dozen times. <laughs> What's your advice to somebody? How did you do advice. this? I mean you're you're worth two point two you yeah. moved around jobs. You had the Army and the Air Force. You you just invested. I mean, wh what's your advice to somebody? <laughs> My wife just said, don't do all that stuff. <laughs> Financially, I, I was late to the FIRE movement, but I'm a hardcore believer now. Uh, I didn't know I was a FIRE member until I learned about FIRE. After being on the road for four or five years, I maybe half a dozen years, I learned about the, the FIRE movement. And I'm a, I'm a strong believer in it. It has evolved since I've learned about it. They're more encouraging of side jobs, dabbling in real estate, entrepreneurship, and all that. But to me, I just look at all those as jobs. <laughs> I don't want a job. I love passive income. So all, all of my investing has been in the stock market with index funds. And I was in all index funds before I ever learned about the fire. Let me ask on your retirement. You retired with 1.5, and then you mentioned it went back to about 864 when the market dipped at the at the end of 2009 or mid 2009 or February of 2009. February. I think right. You said yeah. Was 1.5 enough to retire, knowing that that could happen again at, at some point, or do you wish you would have kept working a few more years? Not knowing about the fire movement and uh, the four percent rule, and 25 times your living expenses, all that. I did a side-by-side -side spreadsheet of current expenses and anticipated expenses being on the road. By then, we knew we'd have the RV and it would be paid for. So <laughs> my current living expenses were just a little north of 65000 I was making $135,000, so 50% savings rate. But the 65000 was my current living expenses, and I thought my on-the-road living expenses were going to be Twenty-five to twenty-eight thousand dollars. The first year out, it was eighty. <laughs> I didn't know, but I, I then we pulled the trigger. We sold the house. We hit the road. There was no going back. 
So, but I thought that uh, the 1.5 million would be what I would draw from, like a savings account. And I figured it would last me 20 years before I exhausted it. I had no idea of the recoverability of it till I experienced it. Once we lost that 8. Uh, dropped down to 8.64. I'm saying that wrong. Once we dropped down to 864,000, that was nerve wracking. That's why we work camped. I thought, well, we're going to just have to learn to spend less. But man, by the end of the, that summer, we're back up over a million. I just loosened the purse strings again, and we started spending 80, 90, 100,000 a year again. And we've been fortunate. You know, that big, long bull run, I was right in the middle of it. And yeah. normal 10 years, I don't, I don't think we'd have spent as much. But every year, I compare what we started the year with, how much we spent, and what we ended up with at the end of the year. And I says, well, we're doing fine. We can keep spending like we've been doing. And we did. We spent yeah. a quarter million dollars. 1.255 we have spent on the road since we left with one and a half. And today we have 1.99 million. So, yeah, the market's been good to us. Budget, yeah. But it doesn't constrain us. It just records it. It makes sure I, I got enough. If, and if yeah. we had to, we could drop down to just spend budget. What's 6,000 times 12? 72,000 a year? We could, we, we could get by on that if we had to. We decked out this rig with solar panels and uh, lithium-ion batteries, and we can go two weeks without dumping or taking out water. So we could go park for free out in the desert, put a town with <laughs> rig twice a month, and uh, really get fresh yeah. water and dump our tanks. Yeah. What else? Let's talk retirement, JC. What else has surprised you? You mentioned the spending. Maybe you spent more than you initially thought you were. Anything else that surprised you since you retired 12 years ago? The portfolio has surprised me. I didn't, I never imagined it would make me that much money. For a little history, in 17, we lost a quarter million dollars. In 18, we made 300,000. Oh, I'll get that wrong. In 18, we lost a quarter million. In 19, we made 300000 And last year, we made 350000 after living expenses. Oh, my wow. God. <laughs> I'm so, amazed. So, I'm blown away by, by the market. Oh, yeah. It's performing. So, it's just been awesome. So, Jace asked this a little bit, but as you start thinking about after having been retired, and, and how, often, how much do you think about what to do with this money? Are you going to leave it to your kids? Are you going to give it away? Are you going to try and spend most of it? What's your plan there on generational wealth? I don't, I'm not a big fan of passing down millions and turning out lazy kids that are broke before they become 40 years old. Uh, Both my kids are doing well. They're making good money. They're living in nice houses. I don't think they're living as frugally or investing as good as they could, but they're doing fine. They they all have positive debt worse. And they all have uh, retirement investments. They're doing good, but so I'm probably going to drop. Right now, I think the will says 200 grand each, but I might bump that up to a quarter million each. And I'm even dabbling, thinking about when we get really down the road, where I'm sure that we're going to have enough money to make it all the way, that I might even consider paying off the mortgages or something like that. But we'll see. I, I'm not, I don't want to. Um, I'm not going to give them any money now because we want to go on cruises and. Who knows what medical things could come up? So I like sitting on the two million, and uh, it yeah. gives me a comfort factor. Do people know you have that kind of money? I don't keep it a secret. As a matter of fact, when I hit two million, <laughs> I think I made a dozen. I think I made a half a dozen phone calls telling people. <laughs> <laughs> Anybody treat you differently because of it? I don't think so. What do you think? Nah, my wife says nah. 
they they always know that I had money. They didn't know how much money, but they always knew we had money. Yeah. I, well, let me. Fifty-seven bought a quarter million dollar motorhome and hit the road. They knew we had money. Yeah, that's true. There's your most expensive car purchase. I don't have to ask you that question. <laughs> really? <laughs> Let me just close here with a couple of rapid fire, and then we'll just end with some general mistakes or advice. So I'll skip the most expensive car. What about the most expensive meal out that you've personally paid for? I'm thinking 600 maybe with a bunch of people that I picked up the tab. All right. That's I, pretty good. Uh, what? Just the wife and I, we don't spend 100 Yeah. What item or items are worth spending more money on to you? Or I assume for you, that's experiences. Well, I'm just loving my e-bike. I'm on my third electric bike. Some years back, we gave up our bikes because I was getting too old to make the, the hills. But now we've got these electric bikes, and I'm, I'm loving it. So this is my third one. It costs 1500 bucks a piece. Good for you. Good for you. Have you ever used a financial advisor? I did a side-by-side comparison at one point when I was trying to figure out what to do with all this money I've got because I make it twice what I needed. And I had more than, you know, I was topped out with the uh, catch-up with the 401k for people over 50. Okay, so that limited me. after I couldn't do any more of that. So I didn't know what to do with the rest of this money. So I went to the Wells Fargo and talked to the brokerage house down there. Broker, the Wells Fargo Financial Advisor, I think they call him something like that. And I gave him half my money, and the other half I put in Vanguard. And I compared the two side by side for a couple of years. And that guy put me in uh, illit- illiquid meat, for example. <laughs> One of the things he got me into. There's a couple others. and uh, But he did advise me on that latter CD, and I think that saved us through the uh, financial crisis because we didn't have to touch our portfolio. Mm. We didn't sell any out of it. We did, I did, like I said earlier, get out of the total stock market, moved it all into the S&P 500 because I thought I was so smart the S&P 500 was going to recover faster. I just got lucky. <laughs> How old were you when you became a millionaire? That would have been, let's see, I was 824000 at the end of 04 and one and a quarter million at the end of 05. That was net worth. I'm not totally, not portfolio. That was net worth, so I'm sure the house was in there too. Okay, so that's 55-ish? Probably. Yeah. yeah. Okay. I would have just been 55 by a month before the end. And then what's been your range of, of household income since you started working? Or since you had your first full-time job? I can tell you exactly that. If you go to the Social Security website, you can find a place where they have your salary for your entire life, both Social Security oh. earnings and Medicare earnings. Now, the difference is Social Security caps over the years. Right. You know, So it stops recording how much money you really make once you hit the Social Security cap. So you just move over to the next column, which is the Medicare earnings, because it's not capped. And so I could see everything from... $970 I made the first year it was ever reported to the $680,000 I made the year before I quit because I started dumping my Apple stock, pay off stuff, invest in the market and stuff. So, yeah, so my, what was your what was your highest salary ever? Highest salary was 135. 135. That's good income. Yeah, it's decent. And that was only so, three years I made over 100. Yeah. Here's a quick little side story again because of the money thing. They promoted me to run the department and I hated the job. I like fixing things. We're coming up with solutions, solving people's problems. I didn't like dealing with employed people that worked for me. So I, after three months on the job, I said, I don't like this. I want to go back to what I was doing. He said, well, you know anybody? Do it. And I said, yeah, my old boss from Silicon Graphics. So I called her up. I said, Debbie, what are you doing these days? Yeah, 
it's all right. I said, well, how'd you like to come work for Apple? So I brought her in, they interviewed her, they loved her, they hired her, and she was my boss for the rest of the time I was there. <laughs> she kept jacking up my salary every year. It was awesome. <laughs> there you go. So, JC, just in closing here, I know we've hit on a lot, and I appreciate your candor and your willingness to share your story, but just in closing, any mistakes that you made or any final advice that you would give? I consider that stock picking thing that I went on for a couple of years stupid. I've learned better. I would never do such a stupid thing before. What do I know about companies 1099 or 10, whatever it is they turn into the SECC? I don't even know the number. That 12B1, is that? No, that's a that's an advertising fee. I can't remember what they're called, but the companies have to report to the SEC the truth of their business operations. I never read a single one of those. So I was a stupid stock picker. <laughs> well, you've done well. You've done well, and thanks for coming on. I, I mean, moved, obviously, an amazing story. So Because I moved over to index funds. Everybody, yeah. listen to this. Low-cost, widely diversified index funds is the answer, my answer anyway. There you go. Well, JC, thanks so much for coming on. Net worth over $2 million, about 2.2, almost 2.3. Thanks for coming on tonight. Thanks for sharing your story. Really appreciate it. It's been fun. Thank you. Thanks, JC. Thanks for listening to the Millionaire's Unveiled podcast with Clark Sheffield and Chase Mattinson. For more stories, investment opportunities, and information, check out our website at millionairesunveiled.com. See you next time when you'll hear from another everyday millionaire.